Let's go, focus, breathe. Now pull the thing up. Go, 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 go. Up, you've got it, Rorden. You've got it. Stand, stand up. Very good. Hi, folks. Thank you very much for being here, for making the download and tuning in to another episode of the Clean Health Podcast, Under the Bar with Rawdon and Tom. Hello, Rawdon. How are you? Hi, Tom. How are you? Been very well. Is that that velvety? (laughs) Creamy. 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 A big show coming up. Big show. And look, dominated by our special guest, Mm. Phil Learney, we're having on the show today. He's going to, he's got an e-book coming out. In fact, we ordered that several weeks ago, Gordon. Has that come through yet? Mate, it hasn't yet. I think he was... uh, This is the mythical Phil Learney e-book. We did hit him up about that too, (laughs) so uh, he assures me it's it's coming soon. (laughs) Pre-sale copy I got got sucked into, but... uh, But his e-book covers everything from the A to Z of fat loss, very, very detailed. And there's no way we could pack it all into the time that we had with Phil, but he gives us a good insight into yeah. some of the aspects of the fat loss that he covers in his ebook. For those yep. of you who don't know Phil Learney, he is the, well, he's done a number of things, but essentially, I guess he built his brand as the education manager yeah. of Ultimate Performance, which is the mother of all personal training performance gyms. Yeah. Started in the UK by Nick Mitchell, yep. and they've branched out into, I think, Singapore and a couple yeah. of places across Asia, maybe Honkers. Spain as well. Honkers. Honkers. Yep. It's taken over the world. And so obviously, you know, to get the results they do, they need a good level of education filtering down through the ranks and Phil Learney has been uh, an, an intricate part of that process. So yes. he'll be on the show. and it'll Good be a, uh, good interview too. He's a very, very smart guy. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of info there. The other stuff we're going to look at on the program today is green tea extract. Green tea green extract. Tea. Yeah. Yes. Good old Nick, the floor shift mowing, one of our level three trainers down at... Uh, uh, thank you. Come on. Level three super coach. He, he's fueled by green tea. He is. A Quite a cheever. Quite achiever. Yes, good old floor shift. But he yeah. loves his green tea. He does. But we're looking at the supplemental form, the green tea extract, because yeah. to actually get the, the real benefits for fat loss, yeah. you need a little bit more than what you get from a cup of green tea. Yeah. But, Rawdon, you can take us through all that detail as we get to the... Um, I'm I'll, just going to shuffle that one across the table I'll, to I'll you. I'll dot my eyes and cross my T's on that one, Tom. <laughs> it, it, in the trenches, when in, uh, when in doubt, trench it out, as we say... On under the bar, yeah, it's one of the the go-tos, uh, f- certainly in the latter weeks of um, of a fat loss program for me anyway with my clients. So mm. we'll talk about that. It's funny you say that, mate, because it's a supplement that I have used sparingly with clients because mm. I only bring it in to a client who's got everything else in place. You know yeah, what I mean? 100%. Like if if they're fluffing around with nutrition or it's eighty percent there or, or not quite there all the time, well, there's no real point. Yeah, bringing in exotics like green tea extract Exotic. or or yahimbi. Yes, or, or any of these things because the you curse haven't, of the Yohimbi. <laughs> you haven't really exhausted all of the fat loss you can get exactly. just through nutrition. So there's no exactly. point going into. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, our program of the week, sticking with yeah. fat loss, and yeah. we're looking at programming or, or aspects of like yes. to a certain degree, and we're going to have a look at energy systems training. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll probably shuffle a fair bit of that yes, towards you yes. also, mate. Well, um, I can uh, give my spin on it, and, and and certainly how I use it, and. Uh, 
the fundamentals, I guess, of, of energy yeah. system. And, and I think uh, one of the notes you made there, Tom, that everyone who does programs cardiovascular work in any way uh, is using energy system training anyway. So I'll just uh, That's right. but, put, uh, define uh, it a little more for you. Yes, and it's one of the things that you, um, you program our Saturday strongman classes at Clean Health and you right. change up the rep schemes and the various energy systems from yeah. week to week that you use there. So you're experienced with it in that respect. And also with the Clean Health internships, yeah. uh, the trainer internships that we run down at the CHPC, you've delivered a number of lectures on energy systems training. That's one of the ones the big dog shuffles your way as yes, well. Yes, or lecture, yeah. I get yeah. the... Uh, Leave that one for Rawdon on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, Sunday afternoon, you know, 7 p.m. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> last last session. Uh, While he goes home and uh, yeah. just checks the bank balance. Yeah, well, that's, that's big dog, you know. But uh, we go through energy system work in uh, one of the presentations on the uh, internship for sure. Mm. That's one of the things I cover. Yeah, so look, all of that and a whole lot more coming your way this program. And while we are talking about education, it's nearing the end of the year now, Rod. It's been quite a busy one for Clean Health. And 2015 promises to be equally as cortisol-inducing for us all. <laughs> at, uh, yeah, well, the, the, the Clean Health education is uh, being created, so it's really something that we're going to push out to the masses. In, in We have done much more heavily than what we've done in the past this I guess the this year 2014 mm. with but yeah 2015 is going to be a much like under the bar mate a monster of a year for us that's right for clean health education yeah so clean health education I guess we're really formalizing what we do yeah. in that aspect and separating that to a certain degree from the bread and butter which is always yeah. going to be the the PT and getting body comp results for our Definitely. clients but there's a heavy schedule of stuff coming up next year obviously the level one and level two internships yep so we do that at the CHPC, and we're also taking that down to Melbourne as well. Yep. Um, we've got a range of different, more specialised lectures, yeah. training the female client, training the strength athlete, yep. advanced nutritional programming design for PTs yep. in uh, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, base lab analysis for PTs, what, Sydney, Melbourne Tom, and Brisbane. What, what don't we... Uh do next there are, year. And that's just half of them. There's a list of these things going on all over the place. So um, fortunately for us, it looks like the big dog will be spending less and less time <laughs> around the actual gym. And yeah, look, we'll uh, run, the, run the place. We'll keep a tight ship in his absence for sure. It's going to be a huge year. Nice one, Cam. It's, it's just really an extension of our arm, really, with Cam. Just a little nod or a wink, and yep. the, the buttons just get pressed he with just, such efficiency. He knows. Sixth sense or something. Now, mate, speaking about education, I guess one of the other things that happens at Clean Health is the in-house trainer yes. education. So much to the chagrin of all of the trainers, at no. 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, yeah. just they when you're ready. to come in. <laughs> compulsory two hours of education yep. every Friday when you just want to go home and put the feet up get the weekend yep. start it's been a busy long week of yep. sessions the sun shining mm. cortisol levels should be very very low but no yep. it's going to bump them up one more time for one the week. last little hurrah to listen to uh, Stefan Ionev hit us with a with a bit of quality content to make sure our coaches are at the, the top of their game and uh, really dot the I's and cross the T's on the, the fundamentals of what we do down at the CHPC so it's a all jokes aside, it's, it's pretty cool that, that our coaches every week have a perfect opportunity to get into a, a group forum. I mean, we're, we're getting up to, I think it's about uh, 18 of us down there now, so uh, quite a big big crew, and um, we get everyone together and go through a, you know, a variety of topics that are relevant to what we're doing down there. That's right. And, um, you know, eventually our goal, I don't know if it will happen in uh, the start of the show you mentioned, 2015 being a monster, but 
our goal ultimately is to have the content go through the, the necessary governing body so it, it can become uh, CEC approved. So uh, external coaches can come in and, and, and actually uh, take part in the education that we're running out of clean health. Uh, so that would be really exciting and uh, will be a, a milestone for, for clean health. And maybe 2015, there's a fair bit behind the scenes that needs to happen with that one. A lot of... Uh, I-dotting and T-crossing. Yeah, we often refer to that, but there's a lot of that yeah. you know, tedious stuff to kind of jump through hoops a little. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's on the back burner as well. So yeah, maybe 2015, hopefully. So one of the topics that we've been covering in our in-house education the last couple of weeks, mate, yeah. has been the physiology of fat loss, the mechanics of fat loss, Ooh. what's actually happening when fat is burnt from the body and it's a very complex hold on have you got your little white lab coat on there Tom look I'm not even prepared to really slip right into it I might just stick one arm in and and dangle it out of the pocket or something like that of course if Stefan was here he could could well and truly slide into that lab coat and and run us through it the Bunsen burner and the beakers and the whole lot he could he could so we're going to give the guys a bit of a a basic overview yeah yeah yeah, without getting too um, incredibly complex with it there there is an environment that needs to be created for fat loss and there are some steps involved in the process of losing fat and the three main ones that we're going to look at Rawdon is one is mobilization so the actual the mobilization of fatty acids uh, uh, transportation so the transport Uh of those acids through the bloodstream to other cells where they can then be oxidized Step three is the oxidization, which is burnt and used as energy. Okay. So those are your your three main steps, mobilization, transportation, and oxidization. They all end in shun too, so that's that's pretty good. That's right. Pretty good. (laughs) We can remember it that way. That's That's right. So, I mean, the thing is, Tom, I guess we all know how to get someone lean, caloric deficit, you know, uh, give them some cardiovascular work, trim the nutrition down a little. But I guess what we want to do today is, is just give the listener a little bit of a, you know, what's actually happening. As well. That's right. I mean, process. because with these three processes, if someone is stuck with their fat loss, it could be any one of these three ah, things letting the letting the team down. So all three things have to be in place for a fat loss to occur. Is that what? Correct. Excellent. Correct. So, mate, why don't we have a little bit of a, a expand on the concept of well, mobilization? How about expansion? Oh, yeah. another shun. Yes, all over the place. All right. Mobilization is basically there's a process of lipolysis where. Ooh the actual the fat or the triglycerides that are are stored within an adipose tissue cell fat cell yep need to be freed from that area before they can actually be burnt as energy right And, and, and obviously we've got a couple of hormones or catecholamines as they're called that would sort of initiate that process of freeing the fatty acids from the cell yeah yeah primarily adrenaline and noradrenaline or epinephrine norepinephrine if you're if you're an American if you're a yank yes so essentially, mate, that's what we're trying to do. So the initial part of losing fat is yeah. actually freeing the fat from the from the fatty yeah, tissue. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and I guess the the hormones that are responsible for that are, are the those catecholamines that you referred to. I mean, everyone's heard of adrenaline and noradrenaline. I mean, there are other hormones that are you know are involved in the process, but they're the primary ones that we're looking at to stimulate that lipolysis or the, the breakdown of, of fatty tissue. So to initiate mobilization, we've got to first initiate some of these hormones, some of these yeah, fat-releasing yeah. hormones. You know, High-intensity interval training is one of the things that can stimulate the catecholamines. Yeah, the, the, the HIT has um, so that very high intensity. You're sort of looking at 85, 90 
five percent of your max heart rate, so yep. really high. Your anaerobic lactic energy system. Oh, don't jump the gun, Gordon. <laughs> well, this is going to go into energy system, but yeah, that hit high intensity interval training is is what's really going to bump up your adrenaline and really create that environment that is, is going to mobilize that uh, fatty acids from the adipose tissue. But um, your lower intensity stuff will also help too, Tom. So Correct. your noradrenaline, which is also going to help in that process, will be elevated by more of the steady state type stuff. So uh, lower intensity, you know, 60... 60-65% of your max heart rate that, that essentially walking uh, can do that as well and the two combined is even more bang for your buck so yes. I mean the idea behind that one is obviously the, the hit to mobilize the you know, elevate adrenaline mobilize yep. the fatty acids and then the, the low intensity cardio to really uh, like we said tr- uh, to then transported transport and, and oxidize oxidize exactly that, so that the, the two work quite well the issue with just doing the hit by itself you know you, you really want if you freed up the fatty acids and then you know you want to then burn them so it makes sense to do some steady state after you've done the intervals so yes perfect scenario 15 20 minutes of, of hit really high intensity and then you know 30 to 40 minutes of your, your steady state that would be a really good combination to, to maximize your fat loss yeah and to really enhance the catecholamine production you can yeah. look at doing that hit in a fasted state yep fasting um, will elevate the catecholamines for sure or in a, a phase of nutrition where you're relatively low carbohydrate so if yeah muscle glycogen stores are down below 50 percent yep the mobilization of the fatty acids can be enhanced in that environment yep. as well I think, as uh, Stefan said, sort of four days of, of low-carb nutrition. We'll get you down to that Yeah, that get you down to that, uh, I guess, optimal, you know, fat oxidating state. Okay, so that's step one, mobilizing mm. fatty acids. So once we've done that, then obviously we need to transport those triglycerides yep. through the bloodstream to working muscle cells where yep. they can then be uh, I guess transported into the cell and used by the mitochondria of the cell to be yeah, oxidized. Nice. Yeah, essentially that's what it is. So mobilization with the elevation of catecholamines, the transportation, so blood flow. Blood flow. Um, that's why the you know the low intensity steady state after the intervals is, is fantastic because the blood flow is obviously kept elevated. So uh, blood flow is increased uh, and then they're oxidized, uh, like you said, in the working muscle, uh, mitochondria burn us uh, fuel to fuel the, the, the low intensity steady state. So yeah, that is the process. Mobilization... Transportation, Transportation and oxidization. Shin, 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 shin. Well, we're just sort of uh, pulling this together on the fly. Uh, we are, as we tend to do. No Van Dam on the on the TV today. We've just got some. Uh, no, and there's no no leading lady. Leading lady. In the hay bales. In the hay bales. No, we've just got some fairly B-grade Australian drama by the looks of things. Yes. Oh, let's get back to the program then, shall we? The program, yeah. Listeners might appreciate that. Green tea extract. Green tea. Yep. It's a herbal derivative of green tea leaves. It's been used by Chinese and Indians for many hundreds of years (laughs) for (laughs) many different... They have. Have you got uh, the actual schmancy name for it there, Tom? Uh, I don't know. No, I didn't know that. I think it's Camellia sinensis. Oh, may well done. I think. Anyway, that's what it looks like. I guess the the health benefits have been espoused oh. by for um, many, many hundreds of years 
but it's only really in recent times that it's become one of these staple supplements in the bodybuilding community. Yeah, you see it in a lot of um, you know fat burning stacks. You often yes. see green tea extract. The green tea extract. I mean, I can rat- rattle off a few of those benefits, Tom. Please do. It, it, the green tea has a. a a catechin, an antioxidant, and that's this, the, the beneficial property of it. But that uh, antioxidant benefits almost every organ, cardioprotective, neuroprotective, anti-obesity, anti-carcinogenic, anti-diabetic, anti-arthrogenic, liver protective, blood vessel health. I mean, it, it, like every, every organ, like I said, it, it has some sort of perceived benefit. So... You know, if we think about that, if it if it has all just from a very very basic, we know when the body's not stressed, it's going to work well. So even if you could uh, not delve into what the actual green tea does, uh, you know, lipid oxidization and you know, switching on those fat burning pathways, like just leaving that aside, just yeah, the, just the, I mean, how how well the the cogs and the body's working? I mean, surely a, a, an efficient body is is going to do everything well, and, mm. and it's the type of supplement that. That I guess, you know, if there's holes everywhere else in there, the nutrition plan or the, the program that they're um, involved in, like their training's not right or, you know, the nutrition has flaws all the way through it or they're not sleeping or, you know, they're, they're in a really stressful, you know, psychologically stressful workplace or whatever. You know, if all those things are at play, then, you know, slipping a couple of green tea extract tabs uh, a couple of times a day is not really going to have a significant impact. Yeah. So it's sort of, I guess, the supplement that I like to use in the latter stages of a, of a transformation or certainly a comp prep getting yeah. guys or girls to stage. Uh, sort of last sort of uh, six to eight weeks, I like to bring it in. But, um, but yeah, the green tea extract. The active catechin, like I, I mentioned, is EG. CG. It's a big, long, schmancy name. I'm not going to go Don't into bother, it. Don't bother, mate. No, but the EGCG. So that's what you're looking for in the green tea extract. Yeah. And then usually when you see them for sale, they'll have standardized however many percent of that actual uh, catechin or the antioxidant, that EGCG in that uh, green tea extract supplement. <laughs> so you have a look. Yes. But generally, it's, 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 it's 50% standardized. So... Um, if you had a, a 500 milligram capsule yep. of green tea, yep. then and it's standardized 50 cents, so f- uh, 250 milligrams are actually going to be the the EGCG, so the, the active fat burning ingredient. Yeah, that a- antioxidant that we're going for. So right. and then so how much of that, of that key ingredient, do we then need to initiate the fat loss? Well, that's the thing. So a cup of green tea is is <laughs> you're looking at uh, 50 milligrams of that particular uh, substance that that EGCG. So mm-hmm. you're looking at between 400 and 500 uh, milligrams of the EGCG to achieve uh, that uh, elevated lipolysis or the lipid, the fat oxidization, the fat burning pathways to switch on the mechanism by which green tea will help. Yes. Uh, you need about four or 500 milligrams at a time. So, okay. So again, if you had a 500 milligram capsule of green tea, 50% standardized, so you're getting 250 milligrams of the EGCG, then... Yep. Two capsules should be fine. Two to three if you wanted two to, to three, um, yeah. over, overdose like I do on everything. Take that's lots right. of everything. That's right. If of a course, little bit's good. Then a lot's much better. Exactly. Yeah. And let's push it to the limit until yes. we start <laughs> yeah. having heart palpitations. Yes. And then we know yep, that's we've done limit. it effectively. Yes. Yes. You know, I'm in the trenches, Tom. But anyway, all jokes aside, so four to 500 milligrams. So if they're 500 milligram uh, caps or tabs, then a couple of those should be fine. At multiple times throughout the day. Yeah. Take that at multiple times throughout the day. What... I would say with that, it, it works synergistically very well with uh, with caffeine. 
Yep. So you can take caffeine with the, the green tea, and I often put the two together. Mm. There is some caffeine in the green tea, but not a, not a significant amount. Exactly. But it, it just works. The, 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 obviously, the benefits of the elevated catecholamines, et cetera, et cetera, yep. with the, the caffeine is going to be much more pronounced, but synergistically works very well. So you can supplement both if the individual uh, can tolerate caffeine. 100, 150 milligrams of caffeine two to three times a day. But one thing you want to be aware of is it, uh, it inhibits some uh, glycogen uptake, so you don't want to really take it with carbohydrates. So I always um, prescribe it or recommend it for my clients in between meals. Yes. They'll have their meal then an hour and a half after the meal they take their green tea the caffeine yep. uh, then an hour and a half later they have their next meal so if you're really going for a fat loss phase Rawdon you might start yep. them with the first dosage on a fasted stomach first thing in the morning Yep. then bring in the uh, the hit or the high intensity perfect interval training so that yep. the the catecholamine production for that mobilization of the fats really yep. uh, hitting overdrive there and yep. then throughout the day in between the meals where the belly is pretty much empty yeah. and uh, there's not too much glycogen floating exactly. around the bloodstream get them with it again yeah three to four times a day very good effect so it seems to be one of those supplements that that, um, that I do bring in and, it, and I'm confident it plays a, a significant, significant role, role. In, the, in the latter stages of, of fat yeah. loss. Like I said, 25% someone coming in, everything's wrong, That's right. a bit of green tea, which some clients think, you know, just supplement and it'll, and it'll fix everything. But no, get everything right. In the latter stages yeah. of, a, of a transformational fat loss journey for that individual, that's a supplement that, that, that I like to mm. use for sure. Can also be used uh, green tea extract in uh, an ointment to treat genital warts. Warden, which <laughs> I know in the trenches is one of your favourite yes. uh, applications. Yeah, look, uh, you know, if need be, above and beyond, that's what you get for when you pay for a level five coach, mate. Mate, I feel like I'm getting leaner as the show goes on. And we haven't even spoken to Phil Looney yet. Looney, no. That's, uh, like I said, a, an awesome interview. Really looking forward to that one. Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast with Rawdon and Tom. Whatever we do say is just from our own experience. Yes, it's not exactly. saying it's the only way to do things, blah, blah, yes. blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Supplementation blah. is all well and good, but unless everything else is yeah. in place and, you know... Yeah, we're not Dr. Hewitt and yeah. Dr. Dubois. As much as we do like to slip into the lab coat from time yes, to time. indeed. Energy systems training, we all do it. Do we know that we're doing it? Basically, Rawdon, for everything that the body does in a physical sense, every sort of muscular contraction, be it an intense one or a slow, steady one, there needs to be, I guess, a common currency for energy to fuel these contractions. Generally Mm. speaking, that is ATP. Yep. Adenosine triphosphate. And once again, very basically, there are two main mechanisms for producing ATP. Basically, the two pathways are aerobic and anaerobic. Yep. Aerobic, think with oxygen. Associate that with low intensity, sustained exercise, your jogging, your power walking. Your noradrenaline elevating activities. That's a lovely segue. Well done Mm -hmm. to you. The supply of ATP to fuel these activities is slow. Yep. Uh, but consistent, and you yeah. can ca- and it's basically the byproduct of that ATP production is carbon dioxide. Yes, and the respiration. Correct. Yeah. So and uh, fats and um, and carbohydrates will fuel that fuel energy that system. That energy system. So then the anaerobic, without oxygen, this is more high intensity. Yeah, sort jumping, of stuff we like. Sprinting, thrusting. Yes. Pumping, dipping, squatting. Yep. Prowling. <laughs> Curling. And now for this, the ATP, the energy required is required at a faster rate 
yeah for this and basically there are two anaerobic pathways the stored atp which is in the muscle of the, or the, the stored phosphocreatine yes. to actually fuel these contractions and the lactate anaerobic system and basically the byproduct of that is lactic acid yeah. and the anaerobic process as much as we wish it could it can't actually indefinitely roll on because the yeah. um the stores of atp and the uh, the phosphocreatine get depleted very quickly yeah. the lactic acid accumulates and it's very painful but what an athlete it would produce if someone could just continuously tap into an endless supply of uh, rapid ATP. Well, I think... Maybe um, a touch of the Usain Bolts. Well, I think that's what they talk about. Like, his uh, his uh, ability to replenish his ATP stores is far superior than any than of his competitors. So possibly any human ever. Yeah. Yeah, Apart yeah. from the fact that he's eight foot tall with massive long legs and... You know. yeah, yeah, I was going to say 15 feet tall. But, yeah, that too... Uh, but uh, that would be one of the mechanisms by, by which he, like his rate to produce power is, is, uh, or energy is, is that much uh, uh, faster. Faster and, and can sustain it maybe for a fraction longer than other people as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. So the, the anaerobic, anaerobic, alactic, anaerobic, lactic, and then aerobic. <coughs> so imagine, you know, someone, someone chasing you. A bad man. A, a bad man, a very, very bad man <laughs> chasing you. Um, so you'd sprint, and first you would use your uh, anaerobic alactic. Okay, so you'd deplete that down. That's sort of you know your 10 to 15, 20 seconds worth, I suppose. Then your anaerobic lactic, and that'll go you know anywhere to sort of 90, 90 seconds to two minutes, and thereafter you're sort of tapping into that aerobic energy system. So yeah, yeah it's not like you can, yes, can you pick to go in one and, that's and right. not the other. I mean, you would, I suppose, if you went to run away from that very, very bad person and just did a slow jog, you could just use your aerobic <laughs> system, but he might catch you because he'd be using his anaerobic lactic and he'd right. grab you and uh, hurl you to the ground and has his way with you. But initially, you would use your, uh, your creatine phosphate stored in the muscle. Yep. And then... Um, up to, up to well, ATP stored in the muscle first. So yes. your energy will be stored in the muscles. That gets burned first. It was like literally the first few seconds. And right. then it will use the, the, the stored creatine phosphate in the muscle to replenish yep. and, and make ATP. Then after that, you start using the glycogen and lactic acid byproduct and all that type of thing. But yeah, so there are your different energy systems. And I guess some of those energy systems... Are, would be what we were talking about earlier in the show when we spoke about HIT training and I said Correct. 85%, 95% and all that type of thing. So I guess what we're doing with this program of the week is is uh, explaining the different energy systems. And then, you know, if you now know that anaerobic alactic is, you know, your, your 10 to 20 second sort of tops, you know that that's best for HIT. So you know that, that duration, there shouldn't really be any uh, significant lactic acid if you're, if you're in that energy system. You can certainly do HIT with a longer duration, but you're working more your anaerobic uh, lactic. Yes. So not quite as uh, significant in regards to catecholamines and, uh, and uh, you know, adrenaline, noradrenaline. So from that point of view, uh, it's still going to have a, a huge energy expenditure and you're still going to deplete glycogen stores. So all that has a, uh, a fat-burning uh, stimulus as well. But if you're in the businesses of in the business of cranking up the adrenaline post uh, exertion then you're you're very high intensity so sort of think that 10 to 20 but that would vary from person to person too like, that's right um, it's kind yeah. of conditional on the uh, the level of fitness or conditioning exactly. of the athlete the person who's doing it yeah yeah and um, 
some people might, as hard as they try, might actually find it very, very difficult to tap oh, into 100%. the uh, anaerobic alactic yeah, pathway. Yeah, they could get, only ever get into the anaerobic. They, they just can't, can't actually go fast and hard enough, fast enough exactly. to tap into it. Now, I think really the you know the size of the client would, would certainly influence that, you know, the bigger guy, and, and not necessarily like a, a more obese, uh, higher body fat percentage client. Obviously, that's much harder for them to, to hit the desired intensity. So for them, you want to look more at uh, the low-intensity steady state uh, and just uh, elevating the, the noradrenaline rather than you know potentially uh, pulling muscles and uh, you know damaging the body in an attempt to get to that 85, 95 uh, max heart rate. So you've got to be realistic about this, and mm. and that's one of the thing like uh, you know it's great to know that yeah I'm going to pump up catecholamines, I'm going to do hit and. Well, not really. You've never really trained before, and you're only going to be able to hit 60, 70% of your max heart rate. So, how about we just, you know, get your training age up a little bit, do some lifts in the meantime, yeah. some low intensity, keep things pretty basic. But then, when the client has the ability, then certainly utilizing that uh, that energy system and that that stimulus, mm. the hit would be the way, far superior way to go. Yeah, I think the um, it's something that I use with my clients, particularly some of the females, hitting that uh, anaerobic lactic energy system is a little easier to sort of to, to tap into, and with a strong man circuit yep, or something like that, circuits, you're yeah. getting that 40 seconds to 120 seconds of yeah. of working time, and that seems to of tap nausea. In. <laughs> Yeah, very nauseating for them. Yes. They can hit that energy system reasonably well after a little bit of training. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's much more easy to, uh, to take someone to. And but certainly with some programming and uh, in some latter stages of uh, programming, you can certainly utilize the hit too. And I guess, you know, when we are talking about these and in the trenches um, uh, type stuff, you got to think about what they're doing nutritionally as well. So yeah. if they are in a very low... Uh, carbohydrate state and yeah we know that is going to help elevate the catecholamines we know that you know four days low carb is going to improve our fat burning potential yep all this type of thing well you know punching someone into that uh anaerobic lactic Lactic. where where we're going to require glycogen yeah doesn't really make sense because we don't have glycogen that's right exactly and their ability to to stay in there with a decent intensity is going to be greatly reduced because they don't have that glycogen exactly however they could probably still tap into 10 seconds worth of quality work exactly and that's what what i like to do again in the latter stages of comp prep when the guy's body fat levels are low i i I will actually bring um intervals in two stages one when they've got glycogen in in their nutrition Mm -hmm. uh when they do have carbohydrates to burn and uh and i will uh, run a a longer duration of, of of the high intensity so you're looking at you know your 30 45 seconds something like that but then closer to, to comp time, yeah, they will do hit, but it will be sort of uh, 10, 15 seconds absolute top. So there shouldn't really be any lactic acid when they do that one. So from where I'm sitting, it's great. Mm. You know, we're creating a elevated catecholamine. It's fantastic. Run some steady state afterwards. Awesome. Burn, burning the fat, fat burning uh, environment is perfect. Low carb, unreal. And we're not, the issue is, Tom, that when you start doing that longer duration um, intervals is the body will, if it needs glycogen, it will get it through the process of breaking muscle tissue, yeah. potentially muscle tissue down. So, you know, that's one of the things you want to try and avoid. So, And yeah, I'm so. sure you've had a very frustrating scenario, Rodan, with a client who you've given a, a very specific anaerobic a lactic protocol yes. too and they go well but it, it wasn't hard after 10 seconds so I just did 30 seconds anyway exactly oh. she went on to win so it was fine but <laughs> exactly uh, my point so yeah when we know the different energy systems we know the different types of fuel that's required 
then we can program a little more efficiently and, and, and we ourselves know that now and we can not only program us as individuals, we know that what sort of intensity we need to hit to, to hit the various energy systems and yeah, that's your energy systems. Hopefully, uh, uh, it was a little bit in layman's terms. I, I think yeah, uh, we explained too it. Schmancy. It was all right. Nah, explained it pretty basically. But any of the stuff you can find online. But that's our how we use it down at the CHPC, uh, working different energy systems at different part of a of a fat loss program, but but all with great uh, benefit to the individual. Boom. Here we are at the CHPC in the morning, and we're looking forward to speaking to our next guest for quite a while now, actually. Yes. And I actually missed him last time he was here. I was I was getting married in Vegas at the time, unfortunately. Well, that's a fair excuse. But, mate, there seems to be a, a bit of a, a pattern developing with the guests that we get on this show. It's a 20 years-plus experience in the industry, yes. strong individual training background, yep. got an, and forged a successful business, and then morphed into somewhat of an educational role. Yeah. And that's a, a brief, fair summation of our next guest, Phil Learney. And when you were away, I was lucky enough to be at the CHPC when he was on his world seminar tour. Oh, that was and, with Ben, yeah? With Ben Coomer and, um, and seeing him present. And what I really liked about Phil's style was the blend of, of a strong science behind yeah. the theory, but a bit of in-the-trenches, real-world stuff. And that's one of the big challenges that faces us as PTs in the industry is bridging that gap between the theory and, you know, what actually happens in the real world when you go to apply these principles. Yes. So we've been looking forward to getting Phil on, and he's he's joining us now from the UK. G'day, Phil. How you doing, guys? You all right? Very well, mate. Very good. So, Phil, um, you've had a fairly extensive career path. I guess you're now really focusing on education and presenting yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Do you could just give us a bit of an overview of how you got started and um, what your driving forces are? Yeah, much like, much like anybody else, really. Uh, I started off as you know, a standard sort of fitness instructor uh, with aspirations to, I guess, progress in, in many respects. I think, I think back then I didn't really have you know, a clear view as to where I was going with it all. It was just, it was, it was something that interested me. It was something I was relatively good at. So, uh, you know, started off as a fitness instructor, did the, did the stuff in clubs as, as everybody starts out doing your dish yeah. towels and, uh, doing your gym inductions, doing a bit of cleaning here and there. And, you know, your, your gym inductions and, you know, that then progressed onto PT. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It just developed from there really. And then I did, uh, I completed my degree in sport and exercise science. And then basically went back home and went back to the local club and said to them, look, I want to start PT. And at the time, that didn't exist. So I, I implemented it and said, look, I'm, you know, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to leave and, and head off and do something somewhere else because, you know, that was where my career path I thought was going. Yeah. So I helped set up the PT within that company, uh, ran it across, uh, you know, three or four of their gyms and then went from there, really. Very good. What? How old were you when you started training, Phil? Probably about 14, Ooh. I'd have been. And, uh, yeah, I started going to the gym about 14. I uh, was, a, was a, a bit of an overweight kid, and, uh, you know, there was a local gym open nearby. And I, I used to actually, I used to finish school, and uh, I had a friend of mine worked at one of the local sports shops, and he, uh, he finished at sort of 5.30 at night, so every... He was a lad from the village, and, and I used to uh, grab a lift with him every night. So I'd go, you know, go straight to the gym after school, spend an hour and a half at the gym, and then uh, and then go and grab a lift home every night. 
Very good. That was how it kind of started, yeah. Yeah. I guess um, anyone that's in, in the industry uh, knows of you. I think anyone that sort of follows our our circles would know of Phil Lerney, and you're quite a, a beast of a man these days. Back in the day, did you when you started lifting, did you progress quite quickly, or is, was it a slow slogging away in the trenches to get where you are today? Yeah, it was hard work because it was, I mean, a lot of it was, I didn't really know what I wanted. I just, you know, fundamentally I wanted to lose weight. Yeah. You know, that was that was the be all and all. You know, I'd go in and I'd hammer the treadmill and do all yeah. the stuff that I thought was right. You know, it wasn't until, it was actually, it was actually only probably about five years ago was the first time in my, you know, in all the years I've been lifting that anybody actually approached me in a gym to offer me any advice. Oh, really? Which was a, a little bit disturbing, really. And it was, it was, it was actually in a, a gym in New York and it was, there was a bunch of, you know, hefty looking guys in there and it was actually this, this tiny little you know, girl who was working there who was, you know, she must have been about five foot three or whatever, but she came over and corrected something I was doing and she was right. You know, yeah. she was bang on the money. So, you know, I, I went over, I spoke to management and said, look, you know, this, this girl knows, knows what she's talking about and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, gave her, gave her a bit of a big up and said, look, you, you, you should look at, you know, how a career progression and blah, blah, blah. Because at that point, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was quite well established in the industry. And it was, you know, it was just nice to see someone coming up and, you know, correcting someone and approaching them in the appropriate fashion. So it was, you know, that was the first time anybody had actually mentioned anything about the way that I trained. You know, it sort of, you know, it was hard work to start with because I was just doing the wrong things. Yeah. Obviously, I was, I was trying to lose weight, but I was, you know, I was in the, on one hand wanted to lose weight, on another hand wanted to build some muscle tissue. So, yeah. you know, I guess it was slow, really. And it, there was always a sporting background there. I was a, you know, I was a keen rugby player and played a lot of cricket. And uh, I, I wanted to get fit for the sport as well. So, yeah, it was all a bit mixed, really. And so, Phil, whereabouts did the, the powerlifting slot into things? That came about because, you know, for years and years and years, I, you know, I'd always trained for something, trained for a sport. I retired from rugby, I retired from cricket. And then uh, had a little foray into bodybuilding uh, many yep. years ago, and swore blind I'd never do that again. You know, I enjoyed the whole experience of the, you know, knowing that I could do that, but the actual experience of being on stage was, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't something I was used to. Yeah. And I was used to team sports and a bit of camaraderie, and it was just all a bit, a bit peculiar for me. <laughs> so then uh, I'd actually, I'd always been quite strong, so I, I went up to a, one of the local gyms, a place called Genesis. So I went up there and just started started lifting with the boys and uh, powerlifted for about, be about three years and then picked up a, a, a bad injury on my leg, uh, which was not brought about by powerlifting, but, and then I was out for about nine, ten months. And unfortunately in that time, uh, work kind of took precedence and, you know, powerlifting to train for is, a, you know, it's a long event. So, you know, you go yeah. up and we were doing gym sessions that were you know, three hours long. Just yeah. the rest periods, and you have four or five boys train. I know you, some of you guys do a bit of powerlifting, and it's like it yeah. drags out. So, and for me, work was more of a priority, really. So, I mean, I'll go back to it. I think I'll yeah. uh, probably do a push pull this next year. I think, Very and, good. Uh, you know, I still like to lift heavy, so we'll see. So, Phil, I mean, there's so much that we could talk to you yeah. about, but we're, we're going to sort of focus in on this new ebook, M1 Nutrition, that you're just bringing out because there's some really fascinating topics in there. But before we get into the meat and nuts, mate, how did you actually come about writing an ebook and getting it done, and, and why did you do it? Well, I've, I've written for years. You know, I've, I've done articles. I've, you know, it's something that I've done ongoing for probably, whew, I guess, 10 or more years now. 
and you know I've, along the way you always get people you know they chirp up and go you know you're going to write a book you're going to write a book and I actually got commissioned to write one for Human Kinetics about what will this be about three years ago now and when the uh, the financial issues hit uh, they actually lost a lot of their project managers and uh, one of them was mine so hence my my book that they wished me to do was uh, was shelved and I never really got back to it after that. So for a couple of years, I didn't do anything with respect to, you know, certainly a book. And then I just thought, you know, sorry, I've got to do, you know, it's something I want to do eventually. I had quite a lot of people asking. I had a nice sort of social following, a lot of people attending seminars yeah. at the time. Yeah. And I thought, right, you know, it's probably time to, to put something out there. And it's just, a, you know, it's just ending up a culmination of, you know, what I've learned over the years and what, what I've struggled to learn probably more than anything. Uh, and just putting, you know, my experience uh, in the industry, my experience dealing with clients, and you know, putting it on paper, really, and looking at the science, culminating that, and tying that in with, you know, real, real-world experience, and sort of the stuff that probably we don't have a lot of research behind, but is still feasible as a, you know, an assessment method. You know, I always say to people, it's about minimising risk of failure, and you know, we need to use all the tools that we've got. And you know, I think some people are too. Uh, they're too driven by science, and then other people are too driven by almost anecdote. They, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they go back on uh, authority and they listen to people that give an opinion. And I think we're too uh, we're too defined by those uh, sort of parameters. And I think we you know, we need to get a blend of both. We need to get a bit of experience in there. We need to get a bit of you know real life practical application, should we say, yeah. alongside the science that we've got. We also need to question the science and go, look, is this telling us what it you know what it claims to be? Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, you know I've just tried to tie all those sort of things in together and, and put something out there that's very you know it's heavily scientific but also it's accessible, something that people are going to be able to understand and actually use for uh, for their own coaching. Yeah. 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 I found that over the last 12 to 18 months, I've been reverting back to what I have done to get my clients in shape, rather than things I've read and and um, new sort of research. I certainly am definitely influenced by the science side of things and the, the how and the why physiologically, but I also find that I've had more success now actually looking back at how I myself got ready for stage and blending, like you said, some of that in the trenches type experience with uh, new school, if you had to call it something, the, the science-based evidence as well. So Yeah, and I, th- I think there's a point there where intuition takes over. Yeah. Which is something obviously you just can't you can't coach it you can't teach people. There's certain things where you know I look at a physique and I'll go right you know I've I've, I've seen three competitors actually strangely today, yeah. and you know I only deal with a handful every year, and I've seen three of the guys there and you know you intuitively change things and sometimes you can't put rhyme or reason behind it and what yeah. I've tried to do with the book is actually put rhyme or reason behind it and go look this is the reason why you know I chose this I did a. There was a magazine asked me to do a piece on. I worked a little bit with James Haskell last year, the England rugby player, and okay. they asked me to do a piece on, you know, what I did with him and how I worked his rehab. And I've never actually, for a long time, put onto onto paper my rationalisation behind something. Mm. So it was it was an interesting task for me to do because all of a sudden I had to take what was in the back of my mind and what I was actually making those decisions based on and actually put it down on paper. And I think sometimes you forget that a lot of it is based on experience and a lot of it is, you know, it almost becomes intuition. 
yeah. but trying to put that into a into a uh, communicable fashion and and say to people, look, this is what you're actually looking for, which would make you make this decision, is yeah. is you know is tricky, I think. Yeah, that's right, Phil. I mean, there are lots of ways to do things, but as long as you can rationalise whatever yeah. you're doing, I, I think people always be happy. Totally, yeah. yeah. Now, just before we move on to the uh, meat and veg of the ebook, there is actually an ebook, isn't there, Phil? Because I uh, got lured into the pre-sale uh, on Facebook there, and I punched my thirty pound through, and 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 I haven't seen anything yet. It's still on the way, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pre-sale, so it's oh, uh, yeah. yeah the, the book the book comes out end of October. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to it, mate. So don't forget about my little thirty pound that I sent your way. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so Phil, there's a huge amount of topics that you cover in the book. Everything from morphological considerations, metabolic syndrome, caloric differentials, a whole list of things. Rod and I sort of sifted through and, and picked out just a handful of things yeah. that may be appropriate to our listeners. A handful of things that we just yeah. want to know, actually. <laughs> but we're not, not worried about the listener. <laughs> so first up, mate, if you could explain the uh, the topic that you have listed there in understanding physical change. Okay, well, that that's kind of encompassing element you know it's just looking at how the human being adapts you know it's just understanding what causes adaptation what causes and forces the body to make choices you know in presidents any over any others so it's uh, you know it's looking at habitual stuff it's looking at behavior it's looking at uh, the environment around us and all of the things that you know we can conclude from those facets that evidence so it's it, it's just understanding you know what's actually happening physiologically to the body when we put it under stress uh, so that just that spans on to you know looking at things like human differentials. So you know the variability in organisms, you know fiber type, hormonal makeup, neural capacity, things like this, and then looking at sort of the nutritional methods that you'd you know you'd conceive or put together from that. Looking at habits, behavior. Uh, behavior is a big one. I've I've kind of emphasised a lot about behavior because I believe that's a, that's an element that people forget about. Is that you know we've got a, we've got a huge responsibility as coaches because we're we're influencing people's behaviour, you know inevitably for their you know their their, their life's term. So yeah. and I think now there's so many people reinforcing bad behaviours, yeah. and probably overly rigid or overly flexible mindsets, where there's this you know there's these two sides of the fence right now where people are talking about clean eating and yeah. you know, flexible dieting and things like this. Where what we fundamentally need to do is we need to put people into a position where you know, food choices become almost a natural thing for them to do. Yeah. You know, as opposed to something which has to come off a piece of paper or off an app in a, a you know, app on their iPhone. Which either way you look at it, you know, people talk about, you know, this uh, dieting being a, a negative thing and people talking about clean eating yeah. and it being, uh, you know, being a bad negative thing. But again, clean eating is a good thing because, you know, it emphasizes good quality food, it emphasizes clean food. But then there's also then on the other side of the fence, people go and look, this is an issue. You know, people are obsessed about clean food and, you know, and uh, orthorexia, you know, this is the term that's been, you know, coined for it. Interesting. And uh, I, think, I think on the other side of the fence, you've got the people who go and look, flexible dieting, you know, fitting your macros in, blah, blah, blah. Fundamentally, we're all singing from the same song sheet here. Yeah, but what we've exactly. got to know is that certain people, the application of flexible dieting and, you know, uh, just hitting macros isn't probably going to do what we want it to do. So it's, you know, it's getting that mindset and that behavior patterns around, you know, somebody who eventually is in a position where, you know, food is just food. Yeah. You know, you, you consume what you need to consume to do what you need to do. So, 
you know, people don't get obsessed with, you know, it has to be 200 grams of protein or it has yeah. to be this, that, the other. You know, and either way you look at it, you know, somebody inputting macros into a, into a computer every time they eat a meal is probably just as disordered as somebody, you know, obsessing about the actual quality of the food they're eating. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, so it, is, is having OCD a prerequisite of somebody who's successful at dieting? I don't think it is. Yeah. And, you know, we're just looking at the, the, the psychological approach and, you know, a bit of care and attention from a coach's perspective as to how, how we're actually approaching people. And going, look, are we, are we, you know, instilling fear in people over certain things? Are we omitting things for the wrong reasons? You know, and there are times where food groups and food, you know, certain foods are going to be omitted from diets. But, you know, it's our job as coaches to explain to the client as to why we're doing that. And the, the, the vast majority of the time, it's just a short-term thing, you know. Whereas, you know, people who, I think, you know, if you think about the standard one where you drop somebody's carbs, for example, and they start yeah. to get success with it, the last thing they want to then do is reintroduce them. Yeah. They see that as the issue. They go, look, oh, oh, the reason I was fat or I couldn't lose weight before was because of carbs. And, yeah. and it's our job as coaches to explain to them that that isn't the issue. The yeah. issue was maybe the handling of them or maybe their metabolism of them or whatever it might be or maybe that it just it just quantified too high of a percentage of their diet. Yep. You know, Whereas you know, we create this mindset where people are just freaking out about you know, things like carbs and freaking out about things like gluten and freaking out about yeah. things like dairy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it's looking at those habits, that behavior, and, the, you know, the psychological side of it. So that's really, you know, where I'm going with the, uh, you know, understanding physical change and what we're actually trying to do to people. Fascinating. Well, you yourself, Phil, if you don't mind giving me a little bit of an insight into what you do nutritionally, are you super strict on yourself or do you weigh things or are you past that? Not really. Uh, I don't think I've weighed any food for a long, long time now. Yeah. You know, because the, my whole thing was, you know, I'm not a competitive bodybuilder. Yeah. You know, I like being in shape. I, you know, I don't want to wander around shredded 24-7. It's not, you know, it's, it's of no great appeal to me. I like my social life. You know, yeah. I, like, uh, I like eating out with friends. I'm a big food fan. You know, I like good food. And, you know, I, and I don't want to place a restriction. And for me, it's, it's also with things like work and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, it's just not practical for me to do it. And people will say, look, yeah, but it's just about being organized, blah, blah, blah. If I was going to step on stage, yes, I could argue that. But it is yeah. about organization and the fact that I'm going to walk around with six tubs of Tupperware every day. And yeah. trust me, I've done that before. Yeah. But for me, it's, you know, I, I want to be somewhere where everything's manageable. And now I, you know, and I'm lucky that, you know, I've dieted for so many years and controlled my nutrition for so many years that I now probably pretty much bang on know what I need to get the job done. So, I mean, tonight I've just had uh, I've just had some roasted sea bream, which I have no idea what the weight was. It had some pea and mint and creme fraiche and various other bits and pieces on it. Oh. And, you know, as, you know, I don't eat a lot of carbs. Because I'm not, you know, I don't handle them terribly well. But but if I if they're in a meal that I want, they're there. You know, it's no biggie to me. Phil, one of the uh, the real challenges in terms of body composition, stress seems to be a big issue, and that's one of the topics that you cover in your book. Can you just elaborate on the role that stress plays in body composition? It all depends where the stress comes from, because obviously we've got you know we've got different types of stress, and we've got different things that occur. So we've got physiological, we've got uh, psychological stress. So, you know, remember that in the gym, we're fundamentally, we're destroying people. You know, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to break them down and, 
you know, we're inevitably going to create stress. Without stress and without the stress hormones and the catecholamines that we're trying to, you know, there's no way we can physically change the body. We can't. So I talk a lot about uh, how stress affects us from an extrinsic or intrinsic perspective to where it stems from, you know, personal stress, physical stress, mental stress, toxic chemical stress, anxiety, guilt, all those kind of things. And then looking at, you know, the reactions. So I look at the stuff that Hans Selye did, you know, the general adaptation syndrome. I talk about alarm reactions, stages of resistance, the state of exhaustion that we create through that, and how we adapt to that. And then from that, start to look at things, you know, from an athletic perspective, where we start to look at things like adaptive reserves. So I don't know, are you, are you guys familiar with that term? I'm certainly not. Oh, yeah, very familiar yeah, with that, <laughs> Phil. i just forgotten for a second. Mate, if you want to elaborate, please. <laughs> adaptive reserve was kind of coined by, you know, coaches back in the day. And adaptive reserve is just basically talking about the substrates that are available to somebody for recovery. So obviously this was something that was manipulated a lot by the Eastern Bloc back in, back in the day. And they, they used the term adaptive reserve. So all we're fundamentally looking at there is that we're looking at all of the stresses and all the factors that come into play for someone to be able to adapt. To adapt. So it's a bit like, you know, it's like the money in your wallet. You know, it's have you got adequate currency there to, to, to buy what you want to buy. And what we're looking at there is we're looking at, you know, has this person got adequate currency to recover from what their, you know, their demands are? So we're looking at things like, you know, substrates like macronutrients. We're looking at, obviously, you know, the hormonal status. We're looking at, you know, uh, hormonal levels. So if we've got different people with different natural hormonal levels, and obviously we've got characteristics that show up because of that. So if we look at the physiological shape of certain people, we can ascertain to some degree where their hormonal levels probably lie. And, you know, it's definitely not, you know, it's not going to be scientifically accurate. But, again, how many of us have access to blood tests and blah, blah, blah? So if I get somebody who wanders in who's got a big old square jawline, big wide shoulders, narrow waist, and, you know, their body fat's not trying to be high, chances are their testosterone level's going to be pretty high, the growth hormone level's going to be pretty pretty high. Which means that straight away influences how I manipulate substrates. So straight away they're going to have a higher protein content. They're going to, you know, and I know their training demands. We can push them a little bit harder probably in the gym than the next person. Interesting. So it's you know it's just looking at those and uh, and how do we manage stress? So obviously without we're going to look at chronic stress, we're going to look at acute stress. So what we're ideally looking at in any athletic world or you know compositional world is that all of the stress that somebody experiences is acute. Yeah. You know because stress hormones positively affect the way that we mobilize fat, burn fat, etc. etc. You know hence when you know when people use stimulants. Stimulants increase stress hormones, catecholamines, so therefore we can break down fatty acids a lot easier. But if you've got somebody who's chronically stressed from a physical or mental perspective, the last thing you probably want to be doing is, you know, jacking them full of caffeine. You with me? Yeah, yeah. So it's just looking at, uh, it's looking at where does stress lie and how do we then influence nutrition, how do we then influence training, etc. around that. So we get a better response from the client. And obviously, you know, what you're talking about there is the fact that, you know, we're, we're physically stressing these people to the point that, you know, nothing actually happens. Yep, yep. Obviously, cortisol, one of the hormones that uh, play when we do consider stress. Post-workout, Phil, what's your um, take on blunting cortisol immediately after training? Different schools of thought, some like alkalizing green drinks to uh, bring cortisol back down, but others suggest that it's better to have it higher for the duration post-workout. What, what's your take on that? To be honest, I think, I think this is going to be one of those ones that just sits out there for God knows how long, and people will still argue the toss with it as to whether it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. 
you know, at the end of the day, we've got to, you know, probably more so we're looking at what's actually happening during the workout, in my view. Yeah. You know, obviously, we've, you know, we've got acidic alkaline environments, and, you know, probably got a bit trendy at one point. People were like, look, you've got to be alkaline, you've got to be this, that, the other. But again, if I've got somebody who I'm trying to break tissue down with, I don't want an alkaline environment. Mm. You know, I want an acidic environment. Yeah. I'm going to put them in a position where probably I'm going to give them a, you know, I give them like a commercial, you know, style pre-workout drink that's got a bunch of arginine in it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's going to create an acidic level. You know, I'm probably going to avoid, you know, certain nutrients before a, a session. So if I've got somebody who's looking at hypertrophy, I'm probably going to have carbs in a pre-workout meal. Yeah. You yeah. Know, because I need glycogen in order to repeat bouts. Whereas if I've got a strength athlete, I'm probably not going to do that because what I'm trying to avoid with a strength athlete is the build-up of lactic acid and yeah. you know, I don't want to create the pump with them. So, exactly. you know, certain pre-workouts, et cetera, et cetera. And also with a strength athlete, I want to alkalize them. Because I'm trying to offset and I'm trying to, you know, minimize stress, blah, 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 and their sessions are going to be longer. So, you know, even utilizing greens, drinks, glutamine, et cetera, et cetera, during a workout is something that, you know, I'd be keen to do. But with respect to the post-workout window, it's a bit like the growth hormone argument, where people go, look, you can't have a post-workout because of growth hormone. But you look at you look at the, the statistics and you look at what growth hormone actually does post-workout, it just waves about all over the damn place anyways. You know, there isn't this acute elevation of it and acute, you know, uh, suppression of it the second you have a post-workout. So does it make that much difference? Honestly, I don't think it does. You know, and the whole post-workout thing, I'm, you know, I think it's it's always going to be out there. And yeah. I think somebody who's trying to build muscle tissue, yeah, slam a post-workout in there, you know, immediately. Because the nutrients are far more important to you than any elevation of cortisol is going to be. Yeah. You know, whereas somebody who's, you know... Looking at fat loss, etc., etc. I, you know, I, I think a few amino acids, either pre, intro, or post-workout, isn't going to do them any harm. But is it a necessity? I think at one of those windows, yes, it is. I think at all three of those windows, I think it's overkill. Yeah. You know, and a lot of my fat loss clients, you know, I don't even give them a post-workout. You know, they just they leave the gym, they go and have the next meal, and away they go. Because yeah. at the end Ooh. of the day, I've elevated stress hormones, I've freed fatty acids. You know, having them walk around now without food in their stomach or without substrates available to them, you know, their body's going to burn, continue to burn fat, hopefully. But when you burn the most fat, you burn the most fat when you're sleeping, fundamentally, because, you know, the lower the intensity, the more fat you're going to actually utilize. I just think it's, you know, it's, it's, over, it's overhyped and over-debated, really. I, I think just look at the, the goal of the client and, you know, if it's fat loss, I don't think it's such a big deal. If it's building muscle tissue, yeah, slam a post-workout in there. Yeah. Or if they just struggle to get in nutrients. You know, sticker yeah. in pre inter and post in there. You know, you can get six, seven hundred calories in somebody whilst they're working out. You know, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, for sure. Getting calories in. Well, it sounds like your fat loss clients would be um, pretty miserable, Phil. They don't even get that sweet, sweet chocolate uh, milkshake <laughs> after training that, that's their only good thing in life for them at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it all depends on the extremity of the fat loss, right? You know, if somebody comes, it's it's like a competitor, right? You know, you guys know that if you're going to compare, it comes to you. And it's this kind of generic sort of 12 or 16 week program that people yeah. give. You know, you've got 12 weeks to get in shape for a contest. Surely that's dependent on where somebody starts. Yes. You know, and I always talk about the fact that you know, you when you set a diet up, you're either you're either hypercaloric or you're hypocaloric. Yeah, again, I talk about this a lot in the ebook where. You know, when we're setting up programs, and this is why the difference between a, an assisted athlete and a, and a natural athlete is that, you know, how hard you can push them with respect to going hypocaloric is a lot, you know, it's a lot more extreme. You know, if I've got somebody who's, you know, exogenously taking, you know, testosterone or whatever it might be, obviously they, you know, I can push them into a hypocaloric state without it having too much of an issue. Yes. Whereas, you know, most of, most of the guys we're dealing with, they were natural and, you know, they, they're not enhancing these things. 
all of a sudden we slam them into a hypocaloric diet for a prolonged period of time, the testosterone levels are going to go through the floor. Yeah. So, you know, and if I'm left with 12 weeks to get somebody from 26% body fat down to five, unfortunately the trade-off is I'm going to wreck their hormones, I'm yeah. going to smash the testosterone into the ground, and chances are they're not going to be in great condition anyways. They're just going to lose, lose a heap of fat and probably lose a heap, heap of muscle. Mm. So my job as a coach is basically to turn around and tell them, look, you need to move your competition. Yeah. You're, you know, you're 20 weeks out, not 12 weeks out. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so it's how long do we camp in each, in each, you know, facet? And you know, and this is why people have got to wave between hypercaloric and hypocaloric. So either a surplus of calories or a deficit of calories. And if you camp out in either, either field, one of the time you're going to get fat, the other one you're going to lose muscle tissue. Yeah. You know, and you're going to mess up a lot of hormones. So you know, I always think with, you know, with females, if you can, if you can get a female down to contest condition. And she's still pretty much right up to day dot. Is consistently having a menstrual cycle. You've nailed it as a coach, yeah. you know. And this is why, you know, with females, I always diet them longer, yeah. you know, because it means that I can manipulate these things without messing up hormones. Which, at the end of the day, you know, the back end of a diet really was a competition that important that this person's now got messed up hormones for six months. I just don't think it is. Yeah, fair point. And there I was thinking I was on track when the uh, when the girls lost their menstrual period. Whoops! <laughs> I better go back to the drawing board and uh, increase their fats a little. I think. Yeah, so, I mean, it, you know, inevitably, it does, you know, it's not something you can control, but yeah. you know, inevitably, what you're trying to do is keep it there for as long as possible. You know, you've got you've exactly. got girls that start dieting and you know they're on eight weeks out and they've got no menstrual cycle. Yeah. You know, if you've got somebody ten days out or fourteen days out and they've lost it, they're fine. You know, but yeah. no biggie. You know, they're, they're, they're probably way too lean for it to be occurring, anyways. Mm, but when yeah. you're talking about bikini athletes, which is the vast majority of now competitive females, looking at bikini athletes, they shouldn't be having a problem. Yeah, you know, when exactly. you're talking about old school bodybuilding, I know you you guys have prepped some you know really good female bodybuilders. You know when they're getting down to you know really low level of body fat, it's inevitable it's going to happen. You know yeah. because the estrogen and the testosterone is going to be all over the damn place. Yeah. Whereas bikini, you know bikini class athletes, I just think if 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 that those sort of things are occurring, you know the coaches are being you know idiots really. Yeah, a bit too aggressive with their prep, definitely. Exactly. Phil, we'll stick with the fat loss theme for just a little bit longer. I'm curious to get your uh, spin on fat distribution and what we can do to okay. manipulate that. Fat distribution is largely, there's a large sort of hormonal and receptor element to fat distribution. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about things like alpha receptors and beta receptors. So alpha receptors, there's always a higher concentration of alpha receptors where people almost will always term it as stubborn body fat. I put a post up the other day on, you know, Facebook kind of just briefly mentioning this. And what you, what you end up with is you end up with a higher concentration of alpha receptors in certain areas. So people are always like, look, this is a stubborn area. So you get, somebody comes in and you know, their body fat's at whatever it might be, 10, 11, 12%, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, they've still got back fat. Yep. And yeah. they, you know, they, they're then like, what can I do for this? You know, so they start taking a bunch of supplements, trying to manipulate hormones, this, that, the other. And then you know, they start doing a lot of back exercises, trying to you know, target a bit of spot reduction, which we know theoretically is impossible, but we know... You know, in the grand scheme of things, is spot reduction possible? You know, you can't pick one area, but we could, we know that if we diet someone too hard, chances are that, you know, they're going to lose fat extremely fast from the areas that there's a lot of beta receptors, but the alpha receptors are going to stay behind a country mile. So, you know, you get these, you know, particularly with females, you get them on stage and they've got abs, they've got lines in their arms, they've got detail everywhere, and then they turn around and, the, you know, their back end's a train wreck, you know, because, the, <laughs> you know, all the area. Well, it's fact, you know, and, yeah. and then if you turn around them and went off, off the fact that you say, you know, spot reduction is impossible, you might as well just tell them to quit. 
because what we're saying is that everywhere else is lean as hell, but this area that's covered in body fat, because we can't spot reduce, is impossible to get rid of. Just maybe they've just too aggressively dieted. And if they have, all the areas that have got a lot of beta receptors on them, you're going to lose fat from them very rapidly, which is cool. But the problem is, all the areas with the alpha receptors on, you just simply haven't dieted long enough. You know, so for a lot of people, when they get these stubborn areas, it's just, you know, you get it with clients where, you know, they'll grab a hold of their stomach and go, oh, yeah, but I just can't get rid of this. It's because you haven't dieted long enough. Yeah. Dieted long enough or you've dieted, dieted unintelligently. You've been hypocaloric for too long. Yeah. So with the body parts that do have the high amount of stubborn fat receptors or the alpha receptors, is it still over time, are you able to reduce fat from those areas? It's just a time thing, do you think? Oh, to- totally. It's just, a t- it's just a time thing. They're just slow. You know, they're just slow because you, you, your body doesn't mobilize stuff very well. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and, and one of the big things there, I, you know, I'm always a big fan of is circulation. Yep. You know, you, uh, again, if we look at females, females, it's all well and good as us going, look, one of the major factors we've got to look at is we've got to mobilize fatty acids, right? We've got to mobilize yep. them before your body will do anything with them. Right, so obviously then we're looking at things like stress hormones, blah blah blah. So what's good at mobilizing fatty acids? Stress is good at it. Yep. You know, so high stress exercise will mobilize them. So people go, you know, what I'm going to do? I'm going to do hit training. Hit training won't burn fat. It can't. The intensity is too high. Your body won't metabolize fat at that level. But what it will do is will mobilize fatty acids. So if you've got somebody who's doing hit training, they've just mobilized a bunch of fat. Brilliant. But then their yep. body's got to burn it. So yeah. This is why when we look at you know weight training and things like this, weight training is great because weight training classically, you, you look at a 45-minute weight training session, nobody's going to maintain a high level of intensity throughout 45 minutes. So what happens, yeah. they start off fairly intensely for the first 15 or 20 minutes, which mobilizes a nice bit of you know, body fat. Hence the differential in well, what we do pre-workout, because in order to do that, we've got to create stress, we've, yeah. got, to, you know, we've got to minimize glycogen, etc., etc. So fat loss, they're probably not going to have carbs pre-workout yeah. in their pre-workout meal. Because if it's fat loss, it's not muscle building, it's fat loss is the goal. Yep. So then glycogen gets depleted, we start to create lactic acid, blah, 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 stress hormones go up, we mobilize fatty acids, brilliant. Now we get towards the back end of that workout, intensity goes down. Strangely enough, when intensity goes down, your body switches substrates and starts to go up fat. So, you know, we're in a position there where, you know, somebody's going to burn fat a little bit more effectively. So a lot of the time it's just, you know, it's a duration thing. We've got to, you know, people have got to diet for a little bit longer, they're going to push yeah. a little bit harder. Yep. You know, but the problem is, is a lot of people, they judge their physique by the front, right? Yep. You know, they look at the front. If you look at most females, you know, they look great from the front. You know, they're very lean from the front. They've got abs, etc., etc. And a lot of people go, look, the second I've got abs, I'm in shape. That's, that's yeah. garbage. I've got yeah. people who, you don't see their abs until 10 days out. Yeah. And I've got other people, you see their abs at 12 weeks out. You know, but it doesn't mean that everything else is in condition. It just means in those areas, you particularly don't have a lot of alpha receptors. You know? Exactly. And Genetics. Yeah, genetics, but also history, right? You know, and, and again, this is this is an experience thing. You know, they're talking is that the vast majority of people that I see who struggle with abs are the people that have classically been overweight as the when they were younger, because again, they increase the amount of alpha receptors around the stomach. Yeah, so so you've got to diet them longer, you've got to diet them harder, but you only know that by asking them what their history was. Yeah. Now, if we don't delve into someone's history, we have no idea. We just assume you know, fat's going to go evenly from everywhere. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work like that. So we've yeah. got to know where they've been, what they've done, what's going to probably show up as a, as a tough area for us to, to lean out. And, you know, and that's an encouraging thing for them because we go, look, your abs are going to be last. 
you know, that's yeah. the be all and end all of it. Your abs are going to come in last probably, but everything else is bang on. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just it's slower. Yeah, do we have a way of measuring this? No, we don't. But if somebody gets lean, it's going to be pretty damn evident where those areas are. Yeah, and no, I really see that with my competitors. I have drawn that conclusion that it's just a longer duration is is needed. They just need to diet or uh, train for a little bit longer to get ready for the comp. All right, um, that's been awesome. And like Tom and I said at the start, we could easily talk all day about all this stuff. But we do have to wrap it up. You've got your uh, cup of tea and cookies to, to eat tonight. What's What's coming up for uh, Phil Lerny, mate? And when are you back at the CHPC here in Sydney? Uh, I'm not sure when I'll be back to Sydney. I will be back. I'm just in the process of actually looking at, well, I'm, I'm very much focused on the book at the moment and getting that done. But then I'm going to start to look at my diary for the next year, hopefully get some stuff in there, and hopefully there'll be a trip to us on the cards. You know, I thoroughly enjoyed it last year. You know, it was great, uh, great trip and you know, a great few days we had there. So it was. Uh, so that's going to be in at some point. Uh, next year, I've got some modular courses coming out uh, that people are going to be able to do some further education with, uh, with the uh, advanced. Uh, it's called the Advanced Coaches Academy, and you know that's going to be a modular online learning thing, which will involve people upskilling themselves. So yep. what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to uh, empower trainers with a little bit of. You know, a bit more to their CV fundamentally. So a lot of, you know, what you're going to get assessed on is your writing ability. So it's going to get people out of their comfort zone and go, look, you're going to write something that isn't going to be commercially published, but somebody's going to assess that for you and tell you how good it is. And Phil, how do people um, enter the system? I mean, the best bet is, to be honest, go to my website and sign up for my newsletter. Yeah. Because uh, anything that's coming up, any of the courses that are coming up, anything that's going to be pending is going to be done through that. It'll all be done through sign-ups, etc., etc. And obviously, the people on that mailing list are going to, you know, going to receive priority over uh, over everybody else in the onset. Because again, a lot of these things that I'm going to be doing next year are going to be limited numbers. Yeah. So there's going to be a few boot camps here and there, which are for you know, select you know, ten or twelve people. You know, things like this. Best bet is just get on my website, which is you know phillearny.com, and uh, you know just get signed up for the newsletter. You know, get okay. signed up on there, and then anything that's coming up, uh, anything that's coming up, you'll get notified about. Sounds great, mate. Well, uh, Rodan and I will sit here waiting patiently for the ebook to arrive and this uh, so-called ebook to arrive, <laughs> the mythical ebook yes. of Phil Lenny. <laughs> no, seriously though, mate. Thank you very much for your time. You're a, a wealth of knowledge, and we'd love to get you back on the show at some stage in the future. Not a problem, guys. Awesome, Phil. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. Thank you very much. Take Bye-bye. care. Have a good day. Cheers, right, mate. Man. See Bye-bye. ya. Bye bye. Well, that was the oh. show. What a fantastic interview with uh, Phil Lerny. Cracker. Uh, really good stuff. Monster. And, um, Quite appropriate for Under the Bar, I think, Phil. Yeah, very much so. We'll Larger get him on life. again. Yeah, we'll, we'll get him on again. He's, uh, he's good value. We can... Uh, a wealth of knowledge to tap into there, mate. In terms of uh, fat loss, we discussed the, uh, the three phases. The or shins. The, or the shins. Mm-hmm. Mobilization, transportation, oxidization. You know, like low carb nutrition, the, the the hit training work in the anaerobic galactic energy system oh, is fantastic. Yes. Uh, fasted state, so you know, sleeping overnight, semi fasted state, cardio first thing in the morning, great Boom. benefit, catecholamines. Uh, you know, in resistance training as well, uh, we'll have a bit of an elevation in catecholamines too. So, some uh, steady state after that will we'll pay dividends. Boom, chuck in a little bit of a green tea. Green tea, yep, Extra. supplement of the, of the week. So the, what was it, EGCG? EGCG. Uh, the catechin, the antioxidant that um, 
that's going to help uh, improve lipolysis and improve that uh, yes. fat burning pathway or the mechanism. So 400 to 500 milligrams, I think it was, Tom. Yeah. Uh, a few times a day with a couple of hundred uh, milligrams of caffeine if the individual can tolerate caffeine. What a cocktail. Fat burning uh, machine no. you'll be. Look out. Look out. Well, thanks for listening. It's been a, a pleasure to have your ear. You can mm. contact us, podcast at cleanhealth.com.au. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> See you, Ron. <laughs>